With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Today's episode is sponsored by Beam. Are you ready to spend 2022 getting the relaxation and sleep you so deserve? This year, prioritize you first with Beam's premium CBD products for sleep. I've had problems sleeping for most of my life, and the slightest thing can completely throw off my sleep pattern. This was usually a great source of stress for me, but now that I've added Beam to my nightly routine, I never have to worry about falling asleep. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand, and their Dream Powder will give you the best sleep of your entire life. Just mix Dream Powder into hot water or milk, stir, and enjoy a nice cup of hot cocoa before bedtime. Here's why it works. Our bodies have an endocannabinoid system, or a highway of communication between the brain and the body, specifically designed to work with cannabinoids, which is why CBD has taken over the wellness world recently. And Beam's Nano CBD dramatically increases your body's ability to absorb CBD, making their products the most effective in the wellness space. It contains natural sleep-promoting ingredients, triple lab-tested, no THC, and you wake up feeling refreshed. I've been using Beam's Dream Powder almost every single night for months now, and I don't think I can ever go back. Sleep comes easy, the drink is delicious, and I wake up well-rested and ready to take on the day. Find out why Forbes and the New York Times are talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes like Danica Patrick and Baker Mayfield. For a limited time, get 40% off the first three months of membership or 20% off a one-time purchase when you go to beamorganics.com slash mcom. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash M-C-O-M for up to 40% off. Make 2022 the year of you with Beam. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Our history is filled with dark events, and perhaps some of the darkest involve the thousands of lynchings committed against completely innocent men, women, and children who were judged by the color of their skin, the religion they practiced, their sexuality, and general difference. On January 23, 1957, a young man with so much brightness in his future disappeared into the night only to have his abductors, his admitted murderers, walk free for the rest of their lives. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Willie Edwards Jr., born November 13, 1932, had been an Alabama truck driver with the Winn-Dixie Company for about three months as a way to support his wife, two daughters, and a third child that was due to make an appearance sometime soon. On the night of January 22, 1957, Willie, who had only been home for about an hour, was called back into work after a fellow employee called in sick for the night. Hoping for some extra money for his growing family, Willie accepted 
got dressed, and went to say his goodbyes. As he walked towards the front door, wearing a pair of blue jeans stitched together lovingly with red yarn, he turned to his wife, placed his hand on her stomach, and told her, "'Take care of my son.'" to which she responded asking how he knew it was a boy. And he said, I know I have a son, before turning around and walking to his truck. Sarah Salter woke all through the night wondering where Willie was. And the next morning, she tearfully shared her concerns with her mother, who comforted, maybe he picked up an extra shift. Then came a knock on her door that told her nothing would ever be the same ever again. Standing in her doorway were the police who said that Willie's truck who'd been found in Lower Wetumpka, driver's door opened, lights still on inside. According to the men, they had no clue where her husband was. Less than two months later, Sarah, in the middle of her grief and confusion, gave birth to a little boy. A week later and 10 miles downriver, a fisherman found the badly decomposed body of a man who, using those stitches that she made with her own two hands, Sarah identified as 24-year-old Willie Edwards. Willie was, in his final moments, right about finally getting his son. Despite the fact that his body was far too decomposed for a cause of death, though his time of death was placed in the early morning hours of the 23rd, the case of Willie Edwards was closed by police. Sarah, who was dealing with three small children in addition to her sudden loss, wanted to fight for her husband, but with very little money, no lawyers willing to take her case, and a company who did not help the widow, Sarah left Montgomery with her children in 1961 and never looked back. Almost two decades later, then-state attorney General Bill Baxley, who was looking into several unsolved civil rights cases, decided to reopen the Willie Edwards case and, with his new investigation, arrested four men in connection to the murder. 38-year-old Sonny Kyle Livingston Jr., 46-year-old Henry Alexander, 73-year-old James York, and Raymond Britt Jr., who, in exchange for immunity, broke his silence and explained what happened the night of January 23, 1957, in a sworn affidavit. This is, according to that statement, what happened that evening. A group of men were sitting in the little kitchen, a known clan hangout, discussing what they considered was a personal affront. The fact that, according to the rumors, a black truck driver had apparently either said an offensive remark to a white woman during one of his runs or had smiled at the woman. The accounts differed, but the anger remained the same. So they put in a few phone calls, one of which went to Raymond Britt, and asked everyone to rendezvous at Henry Alexander's home, armed and ready for a fight. The four Klansmen, the ones now charged with the murder, all piled into the car and, with Henry at the wheel, drove up and down the highway until they spotted Willie's truck parked near a grocery store at around 11.30 p.m. Inside was Willie, who was taking a short break before heading home after driving a route that he wasn't quite used to. Pulled right alongside his truck, Raymond Britt and another man got out of the car and pointed a gun at his head, forcing Willie out of his truck. They then forced him into Henry's car and, as they drove away, the other men took turns shoving and slapping Willie and demanding to know who he was and what he said to that woman. He kept pleading with them not to harm him and, over and over, denied having said anything to any white woman, while trying to explain that this was not his normal route and that they must be looking for the man whose shift he was covering, all while having a gun pointed straight at him. 
The men then drove to the Tyler Goodwin Bridge and yanked a sobbing Willie Edwards out of the car while Henry insisted he was the man responsible for the harassment. He then forced the young father to stand on the edge of the bridge and forced him to jump 125 feet into the Alabama River. Though thankful to finally have answers, Willie's family had the wounds of their loss reopened for all the world to see. His daughter, Melinda, now 23, quit her job in Buffalo to move back to Montgomery to follow the case in court. Despite the fact that they now had a first-hand account of the murder, the case of Willie Edwards and his murderers was not an easy one. When Willie's body was found months after his death, the decomposition made it impossible to determine his cause of death, which, for the judge in the case, was a pretty big problem. After quashing the indictment twice, he insisted that the cause of death had to be specified, saying, quote, Merely forcing a person to jump off a bridge does not naturally and probably lead to the death of such a person. Then Raymond, out of nowhere, decided that Sonny Livingston Jr. had not been there at all that night, and Sonny passed a lie detector test. Things were falling apart, and Bill Baxley and his team started to worry about the fate of their case. Then something unexpected happened. Agents from the FBI came to the attorney general, quote, requesting and begging that they leave Henry Alexander alone because he was, at the time, their best informant against the Klan. With their pleas came the devastating knowledge that, even with Raymond Britt's testimony, proceeding with the case was pointless. The Alabama judge dismissed the charges due to lack of cause of death, and none of the men were punished for the death of Willie Edwards. In 1993, after her husband's death, Diane Alexander wrote to Willie's family to try and apologize for the role her husband Henry played in their tragedy, hoping to give them the closure that they so deserved. She said that her husband owned up to the crime in the months before his death and said, quote, I hope maybe one day I can meet you all to tell you face to face how sorry I am. According to her husband's confession before his death at the age of 63, Henry took blame for the murder and said that, had he not falsely identified Willie as the man who spoke ill to the white woman, he would still be alive. He said they gave him a choice, to jump into the river or to run and be shot. He said that he didn't think he would jump and said that, quote, if he had run, they would never have shot him. This was also not his first brutal attack against a black person. Diane, who was Henry's third wife, was absolutely disgusted. Four days before he died, Henry sat in the yard crying and mumbling. I had no business hating the blacks. They've never done anything to me. Leaving her with nothing but his confession, Diane tried to make things right, but Henry's family turned a deaf ear. In 1997, Melinda O'Neill, Willie's daughter, requested the district attorney reinvestigate her father's case once again, and Helen Brooks agreed, working with a new medical examiner who found Willie's cause of death. The forced jump into the Alabama River in 1957, thus changing his cause of death from unknown to homicide. In 1999, the DA presented the new case to the Montgomery County Grand Jury, and they affirmed Willie Edwards' death was at the hands of the KKK, but in the end, declined to indict anyone specific in the crime. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on January 24th. 
Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.